0: Well, good evening, everybody. I hope that you um, are doing well this evening. Uh, For those of you who are unaware of who I am, or maybe you're tuning into our church's stream for the first time, my name is Tyler Burns. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor um, of New Dimensions Christian Center in Pensacola, Florida. And it's my honor to be on tonight to just give you a little bit of a a discussion and and, uh, some encouragement uh, from one of my good friends, who's also happy to be an expert and genius in her own right, um, and just a little background, just to give you a little bit of background. We have been going through a series called "Back to the Future," where we take a look at some of the go-backs of the Bible. And this past week, we talked about going back to your family, and I use this as an opportunity just to give background on family dysfunction and what God us in the new family. Uh, so, um, before we, you know, kind of hop into all that, I'll give you an introduction of our guests. And I'll go ahead and bring on Dr. Christina Edmondson. Hi, Dr. C, how you doing? Hey, Pastor, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. And, and for, for most of us um, who follow the, the brilliant work of Truce Table and follow your amazing voice, you need no introduction. Oh. Uh, for the uninitiated. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. Before the uninitiated, I will give just a brief bio here Um, Dr. Christina Edmondson, she holds a PhD in Counseling Psychology from Tennessee State University, also an MS degree, uh, in Family Therapy from the University of Rochester. And she would, we we would be remiss not to mention the Bachelor's in Sociology from Hampton University as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Most recently she served Mm -hmm. as the Dean of Intercultural Student Development at Calvin College, and uh, she has written for Essence. Your Black World, Gospel Today magazine. And it would be obviously remiss of me not to mention mm-hmm. the phenomenal, outstanding podcast and work mm-hmm. that her, uh, my other good friends, Akemi Uwan mm-hmm. and Michelle Higgins, do on the Truth's Table podcast. And mm-hmm. if you're not downloaded um, and <laughs> not subscribed to Truth's Table, you need to mm-hmm. do that ASAP. So, Dr. C, mm-hmm. thank you so much again for joining us.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm so happy to, um, to be here with you. Um, and I, I pray that I'll be able to serve well. Um, I, just a disclaimer, I think everybody's brains are functioning at about 45 to 75%. So, so give, give me grace. We're not used to uh, uh, being so active intellectually in the midst of a pandemic. So uh, just, I just want to acknowledge our present moment as we begin to have this conversation.
0: <laughs> Amen. Amen. Same with me. So, same mm-hmm. with me. Well, you know, just kind of giving some some overview as we kind of open up this topic of family trauma and, you know, from your experience, some helpful things as as we as Christians try to navigate this topic. And for so many of us, we haven't necessarily even approached this or maybe haven't heard about it in church. And so I just want to kind of start with a framing question. And that's why is the topic of family trauma important for us as believers to consider? And then also important for us as, you know, people who are in the Black Christian community to consider as well?
1: Yeah. So I think there are a number of reasons why it's important for us to to be thinking about uh, family trauma. Um, one of the things about trauma in of itself is that it, it can sometimes take our breath away. It can stop us in our tracks. And so we really want to be intentional about shedding light on those things um, and not living in fear and in darkness. And so we are the people who are walking in the light. And so um, it we should feel the tap on our shoulder whenever we have a hesitation not to talk about something, um, not to lean into it. So I understand that that anxiety is real, but I would say that's why we really do need to talk about family trauma. The other reason why I think it's important to talk about um, family trauma and trauma in general, and this is more of a a theological reason, so just just play along with me. Um, So what I see in the narrative of the gospel is a traumatic event that calls for us to believe it. And so um, Christ's work on the cross is that. Um, It's many things, it's not only that, but it is that. It is um, the unjust treatment um, of an innocent man, um, stripped down to be shamed before the world, uh, beaten and abused, and yet this story is still denied and disbelieved. And so the God of the cosmos has given us a story which clearly has triumph, but trauma, and it requires, it compels us to believe it. And so for me, I think there is something particularly anti-gospel, anti-love for us not to sit with and to lean into the traumas that we experience in this world. It is one of the ways that our precious Lord chose to identify with us. And so there is grace for us to, to move through this, to talk through this.
0: Wow, that is incredible. I mean, the connection to the cross, and you know, sometimes we don't even think about it because we uh-huh. adjust in its spiritual or theological context, but all physical content as well. He really died, he was really mm-hmm. beaten um, yes. as a man. Uh, yes. That is so, so much to unpack there. Uh-huh. You know, typically we, we approach trauma as like major events in our lives, uh-huh. you know? So even kind of zooming back from, you know, why is trauma important for us to talk about, how should we even think about the idea of trauma and approach these major family events that have shaped us? And and I should probably say, is that the right way of thinking about it? Is it the right way to think about trauma as just the major big events that happen to us, those earthquake moments?
1: Yeah. So oftentimes we think about it in that way, as a specific moment in time because um, usually we're, we're tying it to post-traumatic stress disorder or, or some type of um, diagnosis that is identifying a particular moment often. But that is not the only way to think about it. There are people who have um, ongoing traumatic experiences right that they they walk through uh throughout their entire childhood or adult life um or through a season of time and so um the way that i would encourage people to think about it is that trauma is um experiences um threats that um and that threat part is really important and it doesn't just mean that it's a threat of loss of your of your life but maybe even loss of your identity or your sense of what the world was supposed to be like. Um, and that, that shock to who we are, it almost puts a bookmark into the narrative of our life. It puts a, a bookmark into that particular page in our story. And it does change the lens in which we see the world, in which we see ourselves, in, in which we see others. And so, um, so trauma, um, simply put, is, is an experience that creates a significant change through pain. Um, that challenges our own physical well-being, but also our psychological and spiritual well-being. And that imprint, that fingerprint walks with us.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so you talked a little bit about how it shapes us theologically as well um, and spiritually. You know, how should this topic of family trauma, how does it intersect with our discipleship? And you mentioned a little bit about this earlier, but I think this is so important for us as believers and as Christians because I mean, we we hear messages and we try to live our lives in accordance mm-hmm. with how God tells us is the best way for our flourishing. But oftentimes we don't think about family and we don't think about our families of origin. As so many people have said, how does this intersect with our discipleship and how we're being shaped into the image of Christ? Absolutely. So, um,
1: God graciously and and. And early in Genesis, I mean, as soon as the fall happens, we, we come out swinging with trauma, just, just real talk. And so um, we, we can look at Cain and Abel. If you want an example of significant family trauma, um, it, it rests right there um, in the early pages of Genesis where um, you see brother rise up against brother um, and, and take his life. Um, You see him attempt to cover it up. You see see Cain um, blame God and question who he is supposed to be, a a keeper, but instead he chooses to be a killer of his brother. And you see uh, the the traumatic and culture-shaping implications of the slaying of Abel for generations to come, for generations to come. There is a a trickle-down impact of what it means when brother um, takes up violence against another brother. And so the, the traumas that we experience personally, but that are a part of our historical family line, um, whether we even know about them, have shaped us. Um, and uh, they shaped us uh, within some people's within our DNA. They've, they've shaped us within um, our sense of normalcy and stability. So um, it's helpful for us to just know that they are impactful. Um, And it intersects with our discipleship because Christ is concerned about the whole person, right? So not just the fake person that shows up in person or virtually on Sunday, but Christ is concerned about really and truly who we are. And there is enough grace, there's enough love, there's enough power to actually deal with who we really are. Uh, what we've really seen, what we've really done, what we've really had done to us. Um, and so it certainly intersects with our discipleship because we are being discipled, uh, mind, body, and spirit, as we're being sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit and becoming more like Jesus. And so um, the church, we we discredit the power that is given to us by the Spirit when we do not lean into um, serving the full the full person, when we don't lean into discipling the full person. And that includes um, the, neg- the traumatic experience that have impacted and shaped who they are.
0: Well, you know, this is, this is so helpful because I think as we think about our whole person, I mean, we also have to think about trauma and our family events from a holistic perspective. And this yes. isn't even something that I have written down as a question to ask mm-hmm. you just hearing what you're, what you're saying. What are the different specific areas in which we could see trauma play itself out? Mm -hmm. You know, most people think of it, you know, you mentioned the distinction between a threat and then also maybe some identity, like Mm -hmm. an attack on your identity. Most of us think trauma is just some physical event or death, Mm -hmm. but what other areas of life could we see potentially the intersection of trauma in our families?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, so you know, depending on the nature, the nature of the trauma and the conditions, um, and and who, um, you know, it, you know, it, it's so multifaceted what it is that may have traumatized who we are. Um, but there are many families that can be shrouded in a type of secrecy, secrecy and allegiance, um, in which there's a covering up. Um, there there's a covering up of trauma right and that certainly shapes and misshapes us it impacts our ability to be transparent it impacts our ability to receive help and to ask for help um, it impacts the way we understand our own self-worth um and and um the really the calling the command to to love ourselves to protect ourselves so all of those things can become distorted and the way that can play out within a within a local church community is that we can find ourselves not seeking out, not being connected. Um, fear is one of those things that can cause us to, to be deeply distant. And if that trauma was shaped within what was supposed to be a trusted intimate relationship, then it is more than reasonable that people would um, be fearful of the intimacy that is supposed to be a part of the true church of Jesus Christ. Um, and so in an in in attempt to self-protect, We can find people who um, seem standoffish, um, who are avoided, who never bring their full self or take off a a mask because of not really fleshing out and and doing the work that needs to be done. Um, Some of us were raised in households or have familiarity with households who who would say things like, you know, what happens in this house stays in this house, right? And um, there is there is maybe some some sense in which times that makes sense about what what certain elements of family business, right? But if that was a cover, that was a cover for abuse and for a, um, a lack of justice and healing to come to someone, then we certainly want to readily rebuke that. And we want to live in the light and in transparency. So um, we can find people uh, being standoffish and distant and self-protective if that's the message that they've been given.
0: Wow, that is so helpful. Um, That gives me so many, you know, there's so much we could say about that. So many Mm -hmm. contours and Mm -hmm. nuances, but that, the patterns of how we live life now in the new family of Jesus, Mm -hmm. so helpful um, Mm -hmm. for us to consider how our families influence that. And and so I know we have a diverse audience that's watching and and I just wanna remind Mm -hmm. everyone watching, please do share this with your friends. Uh, We have probably about 30 minutes that we're gonna get into. um, And this has been so rich already. You know, we have a diverse mm-hmm. audience. And so, for many of the people who, let's mm-hmm. say, attend our church, they will be from older generations, baby boomers, mm-hmm. next Gen builder generation. And, you know, this whole idea of family trauma, I mean, mm-hmm. for them, such, in such late stages of their lives, I mean, it, it can be almost re traumatizing to unpack some of mm-hmm. those in the past. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. from an older generation's perspective, Is this even worth it? Is studying family trauma, is opening, it feels like opening up Pandora's box, even for some of us who are younger. So I Mm -hmm. I imagine for your generation, is this even worth it? What would you say to someone who's a little bit older, um, who's watching this and kind of saying, well, I may not want to go back to the past and and figure out some of the things that shape me? Yeah,
1: no, I I would say I understand why. would say I get that for sure. You know, I remember se- several years back being in a in a worship service in Nashville, and our our oldest member at the time was a um, was a Black woman who was turning, I want to say like 90 or 100. Um, and uh, the pastor wanted to prompt her to tell stories about what she had seen and what she had been through as a Black woman in the South over the last 100 years. And she looked at him and said, baby, why are we talking about that right now? <laughs> she she was like that's not what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna sing this song to Jesus right, and and so I was like hey Amen I get it I can see why she don't want to go down her birthday, um so all of that to say is that I I get why that would be the case I would say this too I, I would say that um you know it is it is so important you know the the church is built up it's a household right? And so you have the mothers and fathers of the faith. And one of the ways that the the, the mature and seasoned saints before us um, can can model for us the grace that has been at work in their lives is when they demonstrate a type of vulnerability to say that the Lord's not done with me yet. And let me show you where he is taking me to. And, and I, and I, um, I grieve for our older saints in the church when they feel a sense of disrespect from people in my generation or younger. Um, but we desperately need their testimony. And we need, um, we need to see that um, they're not glorified yet, right? And that um, the Lord is still working on them uh, because it gives us the courage. Um, it gives us the kind of the unction to do the work that we need to do on our own. So I would say that the older generation continue to be role models for us. And I I lament that they don't feel that way at times. Um, but it is the truth. And it is true also that when that box is open, um, and here's the thing, the box actually is always open. It's not sealed shut. Um, so <laughs> so you can think about it almost as a box that has a fume inside of it, that, and the fumes are kind of leaking out the sides of it, right? So we think that our issues are sealed tightly in a box, sealed in a vault. Oh, no, no. They're not. Ask your loved ones. They, you know, as people who really know you, uh, we sometimes think that we are we are keeping um, our stuff under wraps. But um, the the painful experiences that we've had, that we've been witnessed to, that we've had to keep secret, they do have a way of of coming out like those fumes. Wow,
0: man, that was an ouch moment. <laughs> the box is never the box is never <laughs> It's always open. Um, and you mentioned even from the perspective of how an older generation receives, you know, disrespect from younger generations. And then this gets into, um, actually at the Joy and Justice Conference um, mm-hmm. in October, uh, I had the privilege of leading a session, which mm-hmm. I, I was leading necessarily, but leading a session mm-hmm. generational <laughs> healing and mm-hmm. uh, some, of the, some of the interactions of what it means to have yeah. healthy connectivity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very painful for a lot of the people in the room who are much younger yeah. as they were trying to figure out you know mm-hmm. how do I appeal to an older generation and have healthy relationships now in adulthood? And so, mm-hmm. considering that with Gen Z and Millennials, you know, what advice would you give to us as we enter into this conversation? Because mm-hmm. what I've seen is now that there is, and, I, and I'm guilty of this myself for sure, mm-hmm. now that there is so much information that is available to us. It's very easy for us to take a little piece of information and put yeah. in a conversation. Or use it kind of as ammunition against an older generation. And, right. and so how would you recommend we enter this conversation, both interpersonally and then internally as well?
1: Yeah, you know, it really takes us to be able to do um, some work—emotional, um, spiritual, spiritual work—for to get to the point where we are able um, to see people graciously um so you know um, i've I've counseled in different spaces for years uh, college students so traditional age college students who um for the first time are leaving home and so they're you know traditional age 18 to 22 ish and for some of them it's the first time where they are in a place to tell the truth about their parents um to tell the truth about their household and now that they're out of it they have a new perspective of its strengths and its dysfunctions right so it's like um you know, if you've ever, you've ever been in a house where somebody's somebody's cooking something like chitlins or um, they're baking bread, right? When you're in the house for a long time, you can actually take for granted the smell. You may not notice it, but if you come back to the house, oh, it hits you right at the door, right? And so for some of us, it, t- it takes people to kind of move away to now get the perspective of what was happening. And now here's the thing, when we get this new perspective, we can find ourselves coming back in the house and saying like, ugh, you know, it's jacked up in here and you didn't do this right. <laughs> so we have this new insight and this new moxie, right? And some of that could be very true, um, but we also have to think about the families that have shaped us, have, um, ha- have they themselves been shaped to endure the traumatic experiences um, in, in their world? Um, and so, this isn't to, to disregard sin because repentance is always in order. But people are definitely shaped by traumatic experiences, and in a lot of cases, they're doing the best they can with broken pieces while still cutting us with them. So, so, so we we just so we want to um, we want to be gracious about our new perspective where we can see something that people in the house cooking can't see because they haven't stepped out of it to come back into it to be able to see it well. Um, and that's, that's um, we have to pray for the wisdom and for the grace to, to be able to approach things in that way. Now, with that being said, um, when we look back in and we see areas where um, there needed to be rebuke and protection um, and true repentance in um, grace we need to call that out we we need to verbalize that one of the things that makes traumatic experiences so deeply embedded is the darkness that sh- that shrouds it um, it's the inability to say it um, to state it and so speaking out this was wrong this is what happened to me for us to even hear ourselves say those words even along out loud to Jesus, to the Lord, right? Um, It is a way of pushing back on that darkness, which keeps, which is, you know, keeping us in bondage. So um, the younger generation, I think, has the ability to see some things that maybe people in the house can't see, but they must be gracious in revealing those truths.
0: Wow. Uh, That is so, so helpful. And, you know, kind of piggybacking off of that as a follow-up, what would you say is the importance for the younger generation in as far as recognizing our own unique cultural situation, I mean, I, I've thought about it recently, and I was uh, texting a few friends even this morning um, as we were talking about murder hornets and <laughs> a pandemic <laughs> and a potential snowstorm. And I mean, it, it's all happening all at once, right. and isolated, and we're away from the things that we normally have. Yeah, this is a heavy, traumatic moment. You know, I think about. Uh, things like 9-11 or even Ahmad Arbery and so many of these other hashtags. How important is it for us to, as younger people, as we start to shape society and start to shape mm-hmm. our families and ultimately shape the church and the kingdom of God, What what is the importance for us to make sure that we're identifying our unique cultural traumas and our unique moment?
1: Yeah, so, you know, our own traumatic experiences are then layered by, so you know, you you mentioned Ahmad Arbery, so layered by racial trauma, layered by cultural and social trauma. So you have all these these layers that um, that are a part of our reality. Um, and then you have, you know, throughout history, right? We've we've had strife, we had we've had wars, we've had abuses, we've had injustices. So that that's nothing new. Um, I would say what makes our this particular moment different is that um, we have the technology and we have the access to images in a way that we've not had before. And so, in 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 any given time, any given moment, you know, you have twenty four hour news, you have twenty four hour international news. Um, you have you have you have news that's you know uh, that's distorted and propaganda um, to suit you know people's flavor of the week, and so you're getting all of these messages at one time about who you are and about the world, um, and I think that for some generations, younger generations, this is really all they know. Um, this is what this is what they have been given uh, when i think about the the uh, the generation that was born you know around 9/11 and but won't be able to graduate um, from from you know from from school or you know uh, people have experienced really significant cultural traumas um, so they've got to own that and i think in this this newer generation um, they have had their own set of cultural trauma one of the things that we tend to do with younger people which is unloving, is we tend to deny um, that they know anything about about pain, that they know anything about suffering. And I tend to think that that is because we lack the vulnerability to sit with them in it, because it's gonna tap into our own issues and our own suffering. And so instead of saying like, y'all don't know nothing about injustice, right? Uh, what we could do is we could say, tell me about your pain and I will sit with you in it. Um, and that resonates with something in me, and that we can weep with those who weep, and we need that intergenerationally to happen.
0: Wow, that is that is so helpful. Such a helpful word for us. Um, just a couple of more questions sure. here. You've been so gracious with your time. Um, you know, you and your husband, Dr. Mm-hmm. Micah Edmonds, have led a church up in in Grand Rapids, and now. Shifting and, and going to, to different things, but in your church ministry, you guys have been in different areas, whether it's in the south, um, mm-hmm. whether it's the north, and, and in different church environments and different even church racial makeups. know, sure. um, so it's difficult to know how to cultivate this <laughs> of acknowledgement because everyone's bringing their different cultural experiences. From mm-hmm. And so, you know, how can the church? How should the church cultivate? And facilitate generational healing, not just in the sense of we're all connected and you know, there's okay. different members of the church, but also in our individual families as well, recognizing that there's different cultures at play, different expectation, different traumas, et cetera. Exactly,
1: exactly. So I mean that that is a part of the the, the beauty of the of the church, right the, the beauty of the church is, is uh, in the catholicity of it is that um, it connects every you know tribe, nation and tongue, um, the cloud of witnesses, believers throughout history. and that's also where the greatest tension lives too. <laughs> in the church as well, is within our differences. We see that jumping off real early in, in, in the founding of the early church. I mean, the Jews and the Gentiles are going at it. So, um, so it's it's beauty, but it's also great tension and stress. Uh, we need we need the Spirit at work in us to humble us to recognize that there are deep things to learn from each other, um, and for us to see things through a, a lens that allows us to see what are the cult- true cultural elements that that are at work um, here that are um, that are products of, of God's common grace um, to us? And what are the things here that um, are, are really a reflection of our sinful nature that we need to cast off and we need to give over to Jesus? Um, so oftentimes in, in different cultural backgrounds, you know, you'll, you'll get people who in every cultural group has a sense of like, well, this is kind of how we do it. This is how my people do it. And no matter how our people do it, uh, if we are under the sovereign hand of the Lord God Almighty, we bring how our people do it before Jesus, and we ask our Lord how He wants us to do it. And so, as a black woman, I have a lot of security in that because I know the Lord is not going to ask me not to be black. <laughs> right? So, but what the Lord oh is God. going to do, yeah. so, oh so what, so what the Lord is going to do is the Lord is going to continue by his Spirit to make me more like Jesus um, even as a black woman. So, um, we, we don't have to fear that, uh, God is good to us. God is gracious to us. Um, and I think, uh, trauma, one of the things that it does is that it can warp the way that we see, that we see the Lord, which is, is one of the most painful things that it does. And so being able to see God as, as the author and giver of love is really essential to our healing process. And as and as you mentioned, this whole generational healing um, standpoint, how do we cultivate and facilitate this across different generations? Is that we recognize, as you mentioned, that we have a deep, deep interdependency. It is one of the distinctions of the people of God, is that it's it's multi-generational, right? And that um, the testimonies of the older sense, older generation and the experiences of the new generation are working, working together. Um, to point to and declare the goodness of Jesus. And so that is incredibly important is that we see each other as people who need each other. We're set up that way. And also that that love that we have for each other and that love is, is shown on the backdrop of pain, of difficulty, of suffering, not in spite of it, on the backdrop of it, is one of the greatest apologetics of the church. It's literally the last word that Jesus gives to the disciples is that they will know us by our love for each other. And so it is It is in this witness of love, our ability to um, love each other in the midst of the, the serious housework that we gotta do, the traumatic work we gotta do, the cultural trauma, the racial trauma that we have to own, name, um, rebuke, repent of, uh, in the midst of all that, it becomes our greatest track to the world, declaring the gospel that we belong to Jesus Christ. So, it is essential that we cultivate and facilitate generational healing because
0: it's tied to the witness of the church. Wow, that's so helpful! So helpful for us to see the broader narrative mm-hmm. of the family that we're involved in. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, just a just one final question here, I guess that relates to the the remainder of our time over the next five minutes or so. Um, you know, there's this there's this. Um, idea that, you know, you know, this is going to bring up so much tension and so much angst in our families and You know, I, I want to get practical um, mm-hmm. with A few strategies and there was a a, a woman who, who sent in a question to me um, uh, When she heard about this and she was essentially saying, you know, how do I respond to my hurting child? Mm-hmm. Comes to me and informs me that they don't think, you know, I protected them enough and they mm-hmm. don't think that, you know I did enough when, mm-hmm. Is raising them, and, and our relationship is strained because of it. And I wanted to use that one question that was sent in personally and so vulnerably to mm-hmm. kind of watch out to what are some strategies here now that we've we've proven it? What can we specifically do, and how do we facilitate it? So that's from a yeah. generation, but then also from a younger perspective as well.
1: Yeah. So, so God, who is perfect, is able to hear the questions. Why hast thou forsaken me? God who is perfect is able to hear the questions does thou carest in the midst of this storm does thou carest so God who is perfect can hear that question and respond in ways that draw near um with um and, and yeah and make us more like Jesus and so what i would say to every parent and i'm and i am a parent and i, I I think most of us have a defensiveness or a sense of, you know, we're doing the best we can. And I think most people probably are. With that being said, I am a deeply imperfect parent. There is no doubt. <laughs> and so my imperfections um, actually serve as a, a witness, kind of an arrow that points to the perfect parent. And so what I would say, particularly to the Christian parent whose child is now reconciling and and smelling the different smells of the household because they left and come back. um, What I would say to them is to pray for a softened heart so that they might be able to hear what is being communicated. And let's say some of it isn't fair. Okay, okay, Uh, doesn't thou care like that? You know, the Lord can hear that. Um, So and some of it may not be fair, but pray for a softened heart for the gospel opportunity to point to Jesus Christ. So what is our distinctive? What is our distinctive um, as the people of God? Well, we have a few, but one of the distinctives that we have that set us apart um, in our Christian witness to the world and to our families is that we are known as repenters. And so we, <laughs> we are the people who say, that was wrong. What I did was wrong. And um, my sin was against you, Lord. But what I need to fix and that is broken is likely going to be towards my neighbor and our closest neighbors are the people in our household, often our children. And so when we when we reconcile those truths, um, uh, then we are able to be able to hear those difficult things. And here's the thing. We take them before the Lord. And then we ask the Lord, as the Psalms remind us, to search us, O Lord, to search us. Um, and that we would choose Jesus over our sin or over our sense of like, you don't know how hard I work for you. You don't know all that I've been through. You don't know what I had to sacrifice and, and I did the best I could, And right? So the the beauty of the grace of Jesus Christ is that it allows us to rest from the works of our excuses. And we can say, we can say, I am not the perfect parent, but thanks be to God that you are Lord. And we can use that as gospel opportunity. Um, And then we can weep the tears of of our own disappointment. Um, And again, I'm saying this as a deeply flawed parent, right? And so, um, and I I know it's hard to say, but there's actually freedom and liberty in it. Um, Otherwise, you will be caught up in the bondage of thinking that you have been a perfect parent or that you have to be a perfect parent. Um, And and that is too much weight for us to bear. Christ, you know, our father in heaven has already met the full requirement of the perfect parent. Um, And so thanks be to God for that. And that frees us up to be continually perfected by the work of the Holy
0: Spirit. That is so so incredible. Oh my goodness. The rest from the work of our excuses. I'm going to steal that Dr. C. I'll, I'll, give, you I'll give you credit, but I'm going to steal that one. That is incredible. Um, so as we continue this conversation, what are some helpful resources on this topic and what are some things that we can practically take and learn more about? It's impossible to exhaust it all in a live broadcast. So what can we do? What are some resources that we can apply to our families, maybe go through with, with our household Um, And then also read as well as we deal with with family trauma and and trauma in general in our lives.
1: Yeah. So just a couple of things off off the top of my head that I would recommend. There there are certainly cases when we're talking about family trauma where um, there is going to be a need to reckon with both the spiritual and civil consequences of mistreatment, right? And so I would be remiss to um, not not speak not to say very clearly that, um, that there are t- traumatic incidences that require civil reckoning. Um, there are traumatic incidences such as assault and abuse of children, et cetera, that um, n- that need to be dealt with by calling the authorities. <laughs> right? And so mm-hmm. um, because they are crimes yeah. and th- the church, the church needs to be clear about that because there is enough grace and it is an expression of our repentance that we submit ourselves to the discipline of the church and also to civil ramifications for uh, behaviors that have hurt and abused other people. So I just want to say that out loud, right? and uh, and I and I think it's really important for the people of God uh, to to lead with love and not fear as it relates to that. The other thing I would say is that you know as as an activity is to think about reading. Uh, portions of scripture uh, mindful of the, f- the family dynamics. Look for the family dynamics, right? Um, look for uh, look for Solomon and, and, and David. Look for the family dynamics, as I mentioned earlier, uh, in the book of Genesis with Joseph and his brothers, right? Uh, look for the family uh, dynamics at play um, in the early church um, that you see taking place. And looking at things with that lens gives us an opportunity to be able to learn from the narratives that the lord has blessed us with in the holy scriptures um, the the other thing that i would say is that um, it, i think it's important for families to actually sit down and draw or use the or use their computer technology to create a family tree right so in the family therapy world that i was trained we call those genograms right and so they basically are this this family tree um, that talks about you know our parents our grandparents as far back as we are able to go. And the truth is um, the limitations on how far back we're able to go and where there are holes also tells a story, right? Um, And to think about how did this person connect with this person and why don't I know this part? Uh, So just to become more curious. And when we operate in love and not fear, we can become more curious about our family story that makes up who we are. We don't have to carry shame. Sin and shame have been nailed to the cross. So we can talk about, this is particularly important for I think African-American people with Southern lineage. We can talk about the history of our stories and how it has how it has shaped us and, and what it feels like misshaped us at times um, because there's enough grace to do that. And then finally, I would say that there is no shame in professional, clinical help <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, to, to bring in um, a, a therapist, a counselor, to be able to um, help us to navigate these complex pains and traumas. There's a number of, of, of what we call treatment modalities and another, lots of different ways that we can pursue treatment that actually uh, start to help um, our brains to become healed from the burdens and stressors of trauma. And I cannot promote that uh, with any more fervor. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have great value and dignity. Do not let the enemy lie to you and say that you don't get to be helped, that you don't get encouragement, that you don't um, do, not, do, not, do not become tempted by uh, breaking the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Because that that actually applies to how we care for ourselves as well. We are called to preserve ourselves and to care for ourselves. Um, We're part of the workmanship of Christ. Um, so we may not feel like it from day to day, but we have great dignity. Uh, and Christ has died for us. And he's coming back for us. In the meantime, we care for us. And so I want to give that long, that long apologetic to say that you you need to go and get some counseling (laughs) if you need to to do such. Teletherapy obviously is really popular right now because uh, of the pandemic and the implications of it. But the church has to lead in letting people know um, that we are that we are biological beings. Uh, God designed us this way and that the brain is a part of the body. And so um, we, don't, we don't have to, we, can, we certainly must pray, um, but we can also pray and give God thanks for medical um, access so that we can continue to, to love ourselves well.
0: Wow, well, Dr. C, uh, we cannot thank you enough for taking so much of time uh, to be with us and to give us such incredible, brilliant insights that are drenched in, in the gospel. Um, you know, where can I, I think after this? You know, you're probably going to have a lot more followers, and maybe even <laughs> as well. Uh, so, where can we continue to follow follow your work? Obviously, I mentioned troops table. Is there any any other place where we can continue to follow you?
1: yeah, so you know you can you can find me on Twitter. I think it's at Dr. C. Edmondson. Um, so you're more than welcome to to see me do my um my public therapy sessions where I'm basically talking to myself while I'm tweeting because trust me, it's really for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and i I'm working on some projects right now. Um, I, I'm working with a co-author, Chad Brennan, right now on a book specifically about anti-racism in the church. Um, and so within twenty twenty one we're looking for that to come out um, through um, University Press IVP. So those are some of the immediate projects. Um, and so I, I certainly welcome your prayers um, uh, for, for my work and for the next steps for uh, my family and I.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, well, thank you so much again, Dr. C. And I hope you all have been encouraged and challenged. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And we hope that you continue to share this with your friends and again, follow Dr. Christina Edmondson and the work of Truth's Table. It's phenomenal. And I hope that this is giving you ammunition and the right tools that are necessary to deal with family trauma. We'll see you on this Sunday, next Wednesday. And of course, again, next Friday, you never know who we'll have next Friday, mm-hmm. joining us right here at NBCC Pensacola, where our destiny is helping you to mm-hmm. unlock your destiny. Have a great weekend.